And so now it gives me also great pleasure to introduce our spiritual director, our leader, the man who's going to just impart much wisdom, and there he is, (laughs) Reverend Patrick Cameron. Better if I turn it on. Welcome. How's everybody? All right. Second time I've heard that song today. It's beautiful. Love it, love it, love it. So, I was out there park, helping park cars for about five minutes. So. <clears throat> it's a good problem to have, I'm telling you. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's great to be here. So if you're here for the first, anybody here for the first time? Awesome. Well, welcome. You're not here for the first time. Maybe mentally here for the first time, but I've seen you physically here for the first time. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome, welcome. This is an amazing, amazing community, and, uh, I, and to be part of this and to be so blessed. I was invited here nine years ago to come here, and let's see what could happen, and let's see what, wanted to, what wants to happen, and that continues for us. So our gift today is uh, um, hopefully some inspiration in your life and in your heart, and we're here to give the best of ourselves and all of ourselves in service to spirit, because all of life is spirit. And so with that said, those of you that know the drill, don't get scared if you're here for the first time. Some people may stand up next to you and sing. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to do an affirmative prayer. So if you'd like to stand up with me, great. And if not, stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit. One spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So know with me in this moment. And I speak these words in the first person, in the I am. But we're all one here. One life. One infinite divine presence. That life is God's life. That life is spirit's life. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. And so what I know in this moment is I open myself to that idea and I stand in that divine, unbroken connection with spirit, with this, this source of all life. I know that every good thing that is necessary to inform me, to instruct me, to resource me in every good way, is called forth here and now and I stand in the, the willingness and the openness to listen beautifully and wonderfully. And in that, it is enough. This day, I see the abundance. I am the abundance. Despite whatever the conditions are, I stand in this unbroken connection in that, in the, in the, in the, the grounded in the consciousness of the Christ. Grounded in the consciousness of heaven. For this I give thanks. I release these words knowing that the universe is conspiring in every good way for the highest and the best and I'm the place where that shows up and that's enough 
in gratitude for knowing it is already done in the mind of the one, I release these words and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for standing with me. We're going to sing, buddy? All right, cool. He was eating a banana when I called him out at the first service. It took us a while. So this is a wonderful song. Let's just keep building the energy. Many of you know this. This is a Rumi. Uh, let me read my Rumi poem first because this is such a beautiful thing. Rumi, Jalaluddin Rumi was a Sufi poet and mystic. And uh, many of you know his poetry. He wrote this. And this song that we're going to sing is also some poetry that he wrote. He used to spin around a pole and he would just sort of flow with the words. He would walk around this pole and, and, the, and his, his students would scribe. But Rumi said this. Outer form means more than we know since it's joined to inner substance. A seed cannot grow without its, its kernel, but it also fails if it doesn't have a husk. So the body has importance too. Without it, purpose fails. Look at reality, small r, with, from reality, large r, viewpoint. The body is like Mary. We all have Jesus within us waiting to be born. But until the birth pains come, no Jesus. If the pain never comes, he just returns to source by the secret way he came. So unless we're prepared, unless we've created the, the soil for that birth to take place, it just goes back to source. And so as we share this song with you, and please join in. It's, very, it's, it's a beautiful, simple song. It's called Come. Uh, and you'll understand it as you hear the words. It is really an opportunity to come back to that source, to that space, to that welcome. Mr. Brian McLeod. Come again, come. 
wherever you are. Wonder, worshiper, lover of leaving, come, come, whoever you are. This isn't a caravan of despair. Come, come, whoever you are. Wonder, worshiper, lover of leaving, and come, come, whoever you are. This isn't a caravan of despair. No, it doesn't matter if you've broken your vow a thousand times before and yet again. Come again, come and yet again. Come, come again, come. Come again, come. Come again. So we're the Center for Spiritual Living, and, and, and really our focus is the, the giving birth to that spiritual nature that we all carry with us. It doesn't matter what tradition. And one of the reasons I love this, this chant is that it really is, a, is an invitation for all of us to come back. We forget. We just forget. We go out in the world and we forget and we forget and we forget who we are and whose we are. And I believe that we're born with that. I believe the babies that are here, when they, they, they arrive, they know. And then we, they're domesticated in a way through the cultural conditioning and through parenting and through teachers and environments and institutions. And it's easy to forget. And yet it's easy to come back to it. And we forget. And so we can come back to it. Rumi used to say that it's the polishing of the heart. Every, he, he called the... He had, well, Rumi's just an amazing, an amazing man. But he used to talk about polishing the mirror of the heart. And so I think our spiritual practice is to polish the mirror of the heart. And so that is, that is what we're about here in the... My shoe came untied here. I almost fell over. I almost did a, a somersault off the stage, which would be very exciting, but I promise not to do that. In fact, I know how to fix that right now. There we go. Sweet. One on the left and one on the right. There we go. Let's everybody get cozy now. All right. So we have been using... We have been using this book, The, the Go-Givers, which is a wonderful book about uh, cracking open awareness, and it's about our journey. And if we look at life as always here for us, there's always something for us to know and something for us to do, then everything is a teacher, and everyone here is here to instruct us. And some of, us, some of the instruction that goes on is not very comfortable. You notice that? Anybody had that experience? <clears throat> I have. It's been my, been my experience at times. 
So there's five laws that I wanted to talk a bit about that, that we've been touching on over the last several weeks. You hear that or is that just inside my head? So the, number, the first one is the law of value. And this is a story about a, a guy, Joe, that is looking for uh, making his way in the world and he's very ambitious and he's looking for leverage and clout. That's how he starts out. But how many of us have looked for leverage and clout in our lives? You know, Because that seems to be the way that, that life uh, instructs us and, and the opportunity for us. So he learns the law of value, that your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. And so it's, a, it's totally contradictory to the idea of, of getting. And, and Joe struggles with this. But part of the agreement he makes with his mentor as he steps into the, on this journey is that he's going to apply each one of these laws as soon as he can. And so this idea of value, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. He gives a, re- a referral to one of his competitors, which feels really strange to him, which is a wonderful metaphor for our lives because spiritual practice, new behavior, is always uncomfortable. We have 350 uh, thoughts per second. 50 thoughts per second is the average. I don't know who counted this, but I'm glad they did because I wouldn't be able to count them. I'd lose track after about, about 50 thoughts per second, which means, uh, per minute, which means that 3,000 thoughts per hour. So 50 thoughts per minute, 3,000 thoughts per hour. What I know about it and what we teach is that the, the nature of the way the, the infinite creates by means of us is through our thinking and through our embodied beliefs. And so as we change those, our thinking, our lives reflect that. So if we have 3,000 thoughts per hour, how many thoughts of those are the same thoughts we had the hour before? And what I know about thoughts, as I know about uh, human nutrition and I know about other things, relationships, high quality, high quality in, high quality out. And it works as above, so below, as within, so without. And it is the filtering and the, and the deepening of our consciousness and awareness that what, is what we teach. And that is, that is the challenge. Because it's very simple. It is done unto us as we believe. Somebody said that a long time ago. But it's true. And so the, the, law, the law of value, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment, which seems counterintuitive. But it really does prime the pump of this divine flow of life. The second law is the law of compensation, that our income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. And so for all of us in whatever we do, the opportunity for us is to look at our lives and look at the opportunities. How, can we, how do we provide greater service? And how do we create greater, greater value? And it is in that reciprocity that it goes, it, it goes out and comes back. It's the way life works. Number three, the law of influence. Your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. And that's a challenge too. What I've, I've watched in my observation, with, with, especially with metaphysics, is that we typically come to get our cup filled. That was my experience. I just wanted to be happy when I found this teaching, and I loved it. I knew it worked. I'd been using these principles my whole life in a very indirect way my whole life as a kid. I knew that the attitude I brought to something really helped influence the outcome. And so the law of influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests. Because at some point in time, you get your cup filled enough and you realize, now I'm going to stretch into being of service in a different way. There's, there's six pillars that our, our 
our community is based on, and one of them is service. We call it, we'll use the Hindu term seva, which means selfless service to God. But it is about opening, because what happens when we're, when we're of service to one another, it, it opens us up once again to the flow of life. And what wants to show up has a greater opportunity to show up in our experience. Number four is the law of authenticity. The most valuable gift you have to offer to anyone is yourself. And people know that. When you show up authentically and you share from your heart, people get that. And that gets communicated. There's a wonderful story in The Go-Givers about a, a real estate agent. And she learned all the closing techniques and she was not selling any real estate. And, she, and, and part of her transformation... Sorry for the... The bus and something's loose here, so I'm just going to power on through. And it's not my neck or my head. Something mechanical is loose. But, but, but uh, she found that as she shared herself authentically, the things that wanted to happen in her, in her experience, and really sharing authentically creates a vulnerability, creates an openness. And then we're available to what wants to happen, what, what wants to be received. And then the, the law of receptivity. The key to giving, effective giving, is to stay open to receiving. And so at the end of the book, there's a wonderful story about how all these little events uh, uh, add up to the sum total of the experience that Joe has at the end of the story. That's a wonderful, it's a happy ending. It's a wonderful story. But it's reflective of the transformation of consciousness. That, that for all of us, our journey, our journey is, is continued transformation of consciousness. I have been sharing the last couple of weeks, I was going to talk about Job. So I'll give you the, 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 uh, the quick version of the story of Job. Job comes from the, from the Hebrew uh, gospel. And I don't know if you know the story or not, but, but uh, I actually did a play when I was an actor in Summerstock. One summer I was, I, we did this play, and it's called JB. And it was a Tony Award-winning play. And it's a modernized version of the, the story of Job. And I got to play Job, which was really exciting. And I didn't know anything about Job until I did this play. But the way, the way the play opens up is that, that God and Satan are having a conversation, which is fascinating, because right away we go back into this idea of an anthropomorphic God and an anthropomorphic Satan, which, meaning they're, they're both men, which we do not teach. But anyway, for the sake of the story, we'll go with it, okay? So anyway, God and Satan, so higher thoughts, lower thoughts are having a conversation, and Job is God's favorite. And Job has been bestowed with great riches. And he owns all kinds of livestock. And he owns all kinds of land. And he has seven sons. And he has three daughters. And so Satan says to Job, I wonder what would happen if, if you know, something bad happened to Job. What would happen? I bet you he would, he would renounce you. He would curse you. And God says, well, I don't know. He says, well, let's see. You know, God does not work this way. But anyway, for the sake of the story, and, and in the ancient Hebrew tradition, God did work this way. So God all of a sudden takes away all the livestock and all the land, and, and, all the, and his sons and daughters are killed. And then, it takes, so he takes away his wealth, he takes away his family, he takes away his health, he finally bestows upon him. He tells Satan at one point in the conversation, well, you go ahead and do your thing. So Satan brings uh, ill health onto to Job. So everything Job has had, has had in his life is gone. And, he's, and at the scene, he's standing there. Job is sitting in a heap, and he's got a broken piece of pottery, and he's scraping the boils off his arm, as it's described in Scripture. And his wife says, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Because what's happened to you, nobody deserves. And it's really a, a wonderful story about how bad things happen in our lives. But what Job understands is source. And Job looks at his wife and says, I will not do that. I will not do that. 
Job had the wisdom to understand that all of it was God. It's not just the, the, the good stuff. Sometimes things break down in order for something new, for the new consciousness, for the new experience to be realized. And the consciousness that created the things that Job had initially, for whatever reason, it was incomplete in some capacity. Because if we're really here to give birth, if we're really here to polish the mirror of our, our consciousness, the mirror of our heart, then whatever it is, whatever the, the necessary steps to continue to do that for ourselves, we have to, as Job said, I will not do that. I will not curse my maker. So that's a very quick version of Job. But, but, but metaphysically, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to look at that. And so Job's journey in this book with these five laws was counterintuitive to the things that he knew. And yet every time he stepped into a new practice, which was uncomfortable, he just kept, his agreement was he wanted to keep his agreement, which was I will not, I, I will practice this. I will take it and I'll practice it. So at, at each law, he finds a practice. And some of it is very indirect, but he's made the agreement. Dr. Ernest Holmes, who was our founder, and a wonderful writer, prolific writer, he wrote in the Living the Science of Mind. The Science of Mind is our teaching. And it's really how our minds work. It sounds very clinical, but it's quite beautiful and quite lovely. And Dr. Holmes says that he uses the reference to a farmer and planting seeds. It's a great metaphor, and I've used it over the past several weeks myself. The farmer has learned that he is an individual that can sow a seed of our choice. So if we want to plant corn, we plant corn. If we want wheat, we plant wheat. <clears throat> the universal is now individualized for him at the point of decision in his personal life. The, the unseen forces of the infinite are all in support of whatever seed we plant. Of those 3,000 thoughts we have every hour, the universe is saying yes. So how do bad things show up in our lives? There is something alive within us that is c continuing to call it forth into our lives because it's not bad. It's just a result of thinking. And as we filter our thinking and as we refine our thinking and we live at a deeper and deeper level of connection with spirit, the, the ideas necessary to move us forward in a new and wonderful way emerge. That's been my experience with spiritual practice. So the moment we sow seeds, a universal process is set in operation. And that which was individual passes from a point of our conscious volition selectively and, and will, our conscious volition, selective, selectivity and will into a universal field of creative reaction. He, uh, the, the farmer is actually individualizing the universal, but the moment he does so, his individualization is acted upon by the universal, and thus it becomes a universal operation. I know it's a lot of words. We plant the seed. That's the what. I'm planting this seed. But we don't keep digging the seed up and saying, grow, grow, grow. There's the unseen forces that provide the, the how. There's a chemicalization with all of it that provides a how. When we cut ourselves, there's intelligence within this physical form to clot the wound and to create healing. It is, <clears throat> this is true in everything we do. We are individual points in the consciousness of God or the original creative spirit of the universe. We are points where it thinks through us as us or as we say, God as man, in man is man. So you'll hear Ernest Holmes many times reference, I don't know, but something within me does know. We're talking about the divine intelligence within all of us. So when we come together, hopefully the experience you have here with, to, collectively is that experience of oneness, oneness with source, oneness with self, giving birth to the Christ consciousness. And, and that requires openness and a willingness. 
But the God that is in man is the same God that is universal. There is no wall of separation. No barrier, no place where one begins and the other leaves off. All is one and one is all. The creativity of thought is not dependent upon the thinker. Only the choice of thinking is dependent upon the thinker. Let me repeat that. The creativity of thought is not dependent upon the thinker. But we show up with the thought. And we let it go. So you'll hear me when I do an affirmative prayer. We release it. Because it's alive, it's dynamic, and it's been spoken from, hopefully, from that divine source of oneness. And then it's our job to get out of the way and know. And the gratitude that we express is the gratitude to know that it's already done in the mind of the one, which reinforces our belief. God doesn't need reinforcement. The infinite does not need reinforcement. The, the infinite is principle. It's not man or woman, as, a, as the story in Job would suggest. This is one of the fine points in our philosophy, as Holmes continues, and one of the main points in the science of mind. Every advance in science is built on, the, on a simple proposition that nature obeys us when we obey it. So in order for our seeds to be the most beautiful and to, and to harvest the most beautiful crop possible, it requires the mindfulness. What seeds am I planting? I've got 3,000 on average seeds I'm planting this hour. Just throw your subconscious a, a switch at some point in time and think of something new. Just once an hour. But that's why we do the affirmative prayer. That's why we do the affirmations. That's why we bring the mindfulness to this, this process. Because if we want to change the experience we're having, if the longing is for a different experience or a grander experience, or a, a, a sense of health or a sense of abundance or, a, or an experience, it all begins with shifting and changing those core beliefs. And we do that through our conscious minds. The subconscious is very powerful, but it has no choice. It can only respond to what we feed it. Only so Joe in this story of the go-givers is, is given five new laws. Those are the new ideas that he can apply in his life. And it's a beautiful thing. Isn't that a beautiful thing to have all this, the luxury of wisdom and clarity uh, shared with us? And we can apply it in our lives? What, what can I apply from this today? What, am I, what thoughts are showing up for me in my experience that I'm ready to, to with great love, put down? And welcome a new idea. What's possible? There's a, there's, a, uh, there's a reading by Cicero that I think is very powerful. Cicero was a famous Roman orator. It's very short. But Cicero said, said this, the illusion that personal gain is made up, these are the, the ever-shrinking patterns that we can fall into. And this is the pattern that Job brought to the go-givers. The illusion that personal gain is made up of crushing others. That in order for us to have, someone must not have. That there's not enough. The tendency to worry about things that cannot be changed or corrected. Insisting that a thing is impossible because we cannot accomplish it. Refusing to set aside trivial preferences, neglecting development and refinement of the mind, and not acquiring a habit of reading and study. As Father Nolan used to say to me in, in Catholic school when I was two, in, in grade two, you start using that head for something besides a hat rack, boy. <clears throat> he was right to think, to think in a new way, and to study, and to look, and to read. You know, when, when I'm putting this stuff together for a Sunday, I've got to put it on the floor and think about it. What is, what's going on here? What's being said here? This is great stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh. And sometimes I don't know, and then I've got to go do something else. Because I've got to get out of the way. So I've got to go do the laundry. And I'm doing the laundry, and I'm right in the middle of putting the fabric softener in. And I go, oh my gosh, look at that. That's amazing. Then I've got to run upstairs, because if I don't write it down within 10 seconds, it's gone. 
Then I got to do another load of laundry. And it just goes on and on and on. Pretty soon I'm redoing clean laundry. And then the last one, and attempting to compel others to believe and live as we do. Man, there's a trap, huh? There's a trap. But, it, I mean, this was going on in Cicero's time. Not much has changed, and yet it all has all changed. And you are the one, and I am the one, that gets the opportunity to plant the new seed, the new possibility, despite our good opinions, despite our biases and the things that have gone on in our lives. And it doesn't matter if anybody else believes what we believe. What's important is what we believe. It doesn't matter who's in, in power in the, the political houses. It matters who we're giving aid and comfort to in our house, into our consciousness. Because there's always going to be people out there that disagree. And it's not because we're right, but we have to be in that relationship where we listen deeply and we understand how important and how precious each thought is. And to give birth to the things that people will tell you are impossible. Because they're not impossible. They're impossible as long as we agree to them. So I'm going to invite, I want to bring Alice Elliott up again. Alice, would you come on up? I want to, I want to have Alice come up, excuse me, and share with you her story a bit of the difference and in the, in the influence that this community has made in her life. And she's got a wonderful story to tell. Alice, I'm going to put my shoes on while you're doing this. Thank you. Uh, last year, my daughter required open-heart surgery, and it was an emergency. I had one day to process that this was going to happen. It was her second one. I was lucky enough to have wonderful teachers and wonderful, amazing friends that I made through the classes here at the center. That day, they were there. One person asked me what they could do. My teachers, she said, what can I do for you? I said, just be there, and she was and other angels showed up. It gave me the opportunity to do something totally different. Through her numerous surgeries, I've always done them through hysteria and darkness. This was an opportunity to do something totally different, and they supported me through that day. And as I waited for the surgeon to come and give us the news, they also supported every step I took as I walked towards him and giving us the wonderful news that everything was good. She made it through the surgery. And we had two more health crises that next week. She needed another open-heart surgery within two days. And two days later, her heart rate went up to 152, and they couldn't lower it. And each time, the angels were there with me. They came to be with me. They prayed for me. They sent me loving texts. They were there to make sure I ate my lunch. And after, when the crisis was gone, I had an opportunity to reflect how different my life would have been if I hadn't come to the center, if I hadn't taken those classes. I wouldn't have met those amazing people, those amazing angels in my life. And they truly, this place has changed my life. And it's gave me great friends and those angels. So take classes and know that your life will be changed and those angels will always be around you. I know I look forward to Prosperity Plus and taking practitioner's training. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. So high quality in, high quality out. And think about the quality of what you're feeding yourself. Mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. 
And it is, is it highest quality? And if it isn't, in, in the twinkling of an eye, as it says in Scripture, it can be shifted and changed. So, blessings. God bless.